This morning I'd like to draw your attention to the same book of the Bible that we had already read from, the book that contains the law of the Lord, a law that God gave to his people Israel after he had redeemed them out of bondage in Egypt. But before they were brought out, the Lord displayed a great and mighty work in the land of Egypt. And so we'll be reading together from Exodus chapter 6, the first to 13 verses. Here the Lord reminds Moses and the people of Israel who it is that is working a mighty thing. And it is not the king of Egypt that is sovereign, no matter what he had placed upon the Israelites. Let's read together the word of our God. Exodus 6. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will let them go. With a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel. But they did not heed Moses because of the anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the children of Israel go out of his land. And the Lord spoke before the Lord, saying, The children of Israel have not heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, and gave them a command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Thus far in the Word of our God. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever had an opportunity to witness about Jesus, about His love for people, only to find your mouth turned dry? situation where it was possible to speak about your personal comfort in your Savior. The moment passes. You haven't said anything. And then afterwards, you're thinking about it. And you're right off the guilt. You think to yourself, well, what would have been the point anyway? It's not as though they were going to listen. And it certainly feels true, doesn't it? After all, isn't it true that we can't even always convince ourselves? From time to time, we have difficulty accepting the truths of God's Word. 
We struggle to accept that a God is sovereign, God is in control, especially when terrible things happen to us. It seems as though we, we strive in vain to maintain Christian values in a, in a secular land. And if we, who are the people of God, if we experience this futility, is it not doubly so for unbelievers? We think that our words will fall on deaf ears. And so we doubt. We doubt that unbelievers will come to faith. We doubt our own place in God's plan. We even doubt sometimes whether or not God is active carrying out His plan. But in the face of our doubt, and our concerns, and our anxieties, beloved, we do have a mighty God who is enduring. We have a Lord who is faithful, a Lord who is certain. And in the face of our doubt, our covenant God comes to us, and He comes to us in love, and He reveals Himself to us. And he declares in no uncertain terms, I am the Lord. And so this morning, brothers and sisters, we'll consider that regardless of the futility of man, we may still have confidence. The confidence not in ourselves, but confidence in an unchanging, faithful God. And we'll do so with the following theme and points. In the face of man's doubt, Almighty God reaffirms, I am the Lord. We'll see in this that God reveals Himself, that God reveals His people, and that God reveals His plan. In the face of man's doubt, Almighty God reaffirms, I am the Lord. And so He reveals Himself. Now, the very first verse in our reading this morning, brothers and sisters, has the word of the Lord, now you shall see what I will do. And if you were to read through the opening chapters of the book of Exodus, you would see what had brought about that declaration. You would realize that Moses, indeed the people of Israel, they were in very difficult circumstances. Moses had been called by God to go back to the land of Egypt to deliver the people of Israel from slavery. But when Moses had arrived, it seemed as though things had only gone from bad to worse. And the Israelites, they were still in slavery. And now, Pharaoh had mandated they had to gather their own straw. More back-breaking work for them to do. And Moses had been so discouraged by the change of events that had unfolded, he had turned to the Lord in despair. His words had failed to compel Pharaoh to let the people go. And Pharaoh had responded with more than just a simple no. But he had increased the torment that the Israelites were enduring. And rather than blaming Pharaoh, rather than blaming the Egyptians who had enslaved them, the Israelites blamed Moses, that disturber of the peace. And overwhelmed, Moses turns a complaint to the Lord. Why did you ever send me? Why this evil? You haven't delivered your people. 
But how does the Lord our God respond? Does the God of heaven and earth leave Moses in silence? Is this eternal majestic being thwarted by the actions of Pharaoh, that self-proclaimed son of the gods? Absolutely not. That's not what the Lord had in store. This too, beloved, is from his sovereign hand. And so he gives to Moses assurance, reaffirming who he is, that he is both willing and able to accomplish salvation for Israel. The Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. And he reminds Moses again of who it is that will do it. That's our focal point this morning. Look at how the Lord speaks to Moses here in verses 2 through to 8. He says, I am the Lord in verse 2. He says, by my name, the Lord, again in verse 3. He says to Moses to tell the people of Israel, I am the Lord in verse 6 to bring them out. That he will take them to be his people. I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord. And he concludes the end of verse 8, I am the Lord. Again and again, the Lord reiterates to Moses who it is that will do the mighty things that will bring Israel out of Egypt by a strong arm. Moses needed to remember that the God who had called him to be his prophet through the burning bush was still God with him in Egypt. Now, when you read the name LORD in all caps in the Old Testament, that's the covenant name of God in Hebrew. Yahweh, I am. God reminds Moses of this. I am who I am did not change in the time that it took Moses to travel from the wilderness to Egypt. I am who I am did not change despite what Pharaoh and the people of Egypt or even the people of Israel might think or do. And it's because of this that we have a very interesting comment from the Lord. In verse 3, we read, I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, notice the all caps there, I was not known to them. Indeed, When God made a covenant of circumcision with Abram, calling him Abraham in Genesis 17, he said to him, I am God Almighty. But these patriarchs also knew that God was Lord, that he was I am who I am. Abraham acknowledged this in naming the mountain where Isaac would have been sacrificed. This was reaffirmed again by the angel of the Lord. Likewise, in finding a wife for Isaac, Abraham invoked the name of the Lord. Isaac likewise named the place Rehoboth, speaking of the Lord. And he blessed his son Jacob in the name of the Lord. After Jacob had said that the Lord had given him success on the hunt. And there are other examples of this throughout the book of Genesis. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they all knew the name of the great I Am. And indeed, there were others, people who know of these patriarchs, who also knew of their God. 
the Lord. So why does the Lord say to Moses, by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them? These men had a very special relationship with the Lord. They certainly knew their covenant God. But what the Lord is conveying to Moses is the power of his name in his faithfulness. Moses and the Israelites, they're looking for God Almighty. God Almighty, that powerful force, that strong arm, that hand, capable of defeating any enemy. They would have been very happy if God Almighty had swept in, descending upon the land of Egypt to defeat, to conquer their enemies and to give them immediate victory. And the way that Pharaoh secretly feared the vast people of Israel, the way that he spoke of not actually knowing Moses' God, having complete disdain for this unknown entity, even this pagan king was expecting a mighty God. God Almighty had established one man, Abraham, in a foreign land. God Almighty had raised him to power and had defeated the pagan kings to deliver Lot to pay homage to Melchizedek, the priest king of Salem. God Almighty had caused Abimelech and the Philistines to be filled with envy. God Almighty had showed his strength when Jacob became afraid of his brother Esau. God Almighty had caused this family of these patriarchs to go from one elderly couple into a great multitude of people. What Moses and what the people of Israel were looking for was not how God would reveal himself at this time. The patriarchs and their close relationship with God, they could know his love, his steadfast faithfulness. They had personal, deep relationships with the Lord. They spoke with God. But the people of Israel, this great host, they needed to know more of this covenant God. They needed to be reminded that it was his plan unfolding not theirs. They would be delivered according to His will, not theirs. The name of the Lord, I am who I am, needed to be made known to them. We see who the Lord is in this, beloved of Christ. That it's His steadfast faithfulness and not ours. It's His covenant that He has established with us. We did not establish it. It's His love. We only love Him because He first loved us. And it's His plan that's unfolding perfectly, not ours. Time and time again, the Lord has to remind us of who He is. Because who doesn't wonder about God's plan? Who doesn't think about how things might unfold a little bit differently? Why did God allow this thing to happen? What's the purpose behind this event in my life? How could God possibly want this to be a reality? 
We wonder why God Almighty doesn't ride in on chariots of fire to save our lives here on earth. And it's in this that we're reminded again of who God is. I am who I am. That's the God we may know. And it is significantly better for us that this is our God in the first place and not God Almighty. For who God is as the great and unchanging I am shines in the most beautiful way in how He reveals His people. So how can it be that the name Lord, the great I Am, is better for us than God Almighty? And we need to be careful here, brothers and sisters, on how we speak of this. We may say that the name Lord here is better for us, but not that it is intrinsically better. Our triune God has revealed Himself as Lord And he has also revealed himself as God Almighty. It's not as though God has become greater, and therefore he's received a new name. It's not as though one element of who he is as God is greater and more worthy of praise than another. No. And indeed, his very name tells us that. I am who I am. God is unchanging. He's eternal. He's absolute, whole, perfect, one. And that He is eternal and unchanging and absolute means that He is also mighty, powerful. His infiniteness wouldn't exactly be infinite if He weren't also the most powerful being of all. And likewise, a God cannot truly be almighty if he isn't also eternal and unchanging. So who God is does not have us here today attempt to compartmentalize different attributes of God. God is God. But this God also acts in his creation. He enters into time and dialogues with man. He comes to his people and he reveals himself to us. He comes to us. And for us, for our sake, for our benefit, he reveals himself as Lord, the great I am. In speaking to Moses, in reaffirming who he is as Lord God, our gracious and merciful Lord reveals his people. For what is man before God? How do people react to his word? Even such powerful words that testify about who God is and what he will do, how do the Israelites respond, beloved? We read that together this morning. Verse 9, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, and they did not listen. They did not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. They didn't listen. 
They didn't respond in faith. Their backs were bent. Their faces looked down. And what did they see? They only saw dirt. Are these the people of God? Are these the descendants of the men who had a close and personal relationship with God Almighty? Are these the people whose forefathers defeated kings, accumulated vast wealth, contended with rulers, even saved the world from famine? What sort of God do they have? But they're broken. They're broken and destitute. Israelites are overwhelmed by their circumstances. Indeed, this narrative has already painted that picture for us. Exodus 2 concluded, during those many days, the king of Egypt died. The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. They cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel. God knew. It's a beautiful text, isn't it? It's beautiful how it focuses in on the plan, the action of the Lord, as opposed to the plans and the activities of people. God heard, God remembered, God saw, God knew. But here we are, Exodus 6. God heard, Israel is in slavery. God remembered Israel is in slavery. God saw Israel is in slavery. God knew Israel is in slavery. The people of Israel did not listen to Moses when he came with such beautiful words from the great I am because of their broken spirits and harsh slavery. How could they? Look at their circumstances. They've been crying to the Lord for years. One king had died only to be replaced with another king who's doing worse. Especially now with Moses coming in and stirring the pot. We today can so easily get frustrated with God. We can wonder how God hears and God remembers, God sees, God knows and still doesn't seem to do anything. Why is it that the wicked prosper while righteous suffer? Why do bad things happen to little children? If he's God Almighty, then where is he? How much longer must this world groan before Jesus returns? And will Jesus actually return? Or are we to continue enduring whatever pains come away? And particularly dark places. When pushed hard enough, we might even sympathize with people who leave the church, abandoning the faith. What good is it to believe in a God who's never there? But even this, we find comfort in this beloved. 
Israel had God Almighty on their side. He had a covenant with them, one established with their forefathers. Even though they despaired, even though their spirits were broken, even though their backs were bent under slavery and they did not believe the prophet of the Lord, that did not stop God. That did not stop Him from saying, I am the Lord. He knows the weaknesses of his people. And to that, he says, I am the Lord. He knows that his people are not steadfast. They are not enduring. And still he says, I am the Lord. He knows they are sinful in doubting his word. And he says, I am the Lord. I am who I am. God reveals His people in this promise. His people don't trust in Him because He's Almighty God. His people do not see His powerful hand at work and therefore want some of that help. That's how all the pagans believed in their gods. They viewed their gods as powerful gods who could do things for them. Offer them sacrifices and the river Nile will flood and crops will be given for the new year. Tap into the power of the gods. Not so the people of God. His people are not those who have witnessed his strength and desire to harness it, to wield it. No. His people are his people because of his steadfast love. His people are His people because of His covenant faithfulness, not because they decided He's an ally for them to have. Do you know this to be true? Do you worship Jesus as God and call upon the Lord in love because of who He is? Or merely because of what He can do for you? Maybe it's a safe thing to hedge your bets on this powerful being. Just in case there is a God out there, I better come to church. And if I'm not worshiping the Lord, well, that's why bad things keep happening. If only I serve this almighty God, then he will bless me with peace and with happiness and with prosperity. God is indeed almighty. But that's not why we worship Him. We worship Him because He loves us. He is steadfast toward us. He's unchanging. His promises are unchanging. And though we would otherwise despair, we would reject Him, though we would be broken, He keeps us. He calls us His people. He declares to us, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And so, he reveals his plan. A God is steadfast and faithful and certain in his covenant love cannot take away from his power as almighty God. As we were just careful 
to talk about God and His covenant love first and foremost, an unchanging God and His love for us, so we must be careful to remember He remains God Almighty. We lose sight of this so easily. Moses lost sight of this. Verse 12, he says to the Lord, The children of Israel have not heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. Let's be realistic here. The descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob didn't listen. The covenant people of God aren't listening to me. Even the elders are blaming Moses for the increased hardships. And now go and talk again to this pagan king. A king who's already said he doesn't know God. He's shown his evil disregard by torturing the Israelite slaves even more. But the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he says to Moses again, I am the Lord. And he gives to Moses and Aaron a charge. He commands them to bring his people out of the land of Egypt. And it's important for us to see the significance in this charge. God had just told Moses that he is the Lord, the unchanging I am. God has spoken of being God to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Not just any God, but Almighty God who is faithful. One who knows his people. He had said to Moses to tell the people the Lord, the unchanging and covenant remembering I am who I am, would redeem them. And more than just Almighty God, but a steadfast and faithful God would do it with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. God has more than the will to care for His people as their covenant Lord. He also has the ability to care for them as Almighty God. And he would do it in his method. Weak, sinful men like Moses and Aaron were charged with bringing the people out of slavery. And it will be clear, if it was not already clear, it's not being done in their strength. It's not being done in their time. It's not being done with their words. But God's plan still involved delivering Israel using two otherwise insignificant men who were born of a couple living quietly as slaves. God's plan involved Israel being redeemed and they would be redeemed by two men charged by the Lord. And it will be abundantly clear that just as the covenant people would not listen to them, so also a pagan king would not listen to them. He wouldn't listen because of their words, because of their persuasive skills. Their words are going to be rejected. Their words are going to get them nowhere. Their words are going to cause them to despair. But their words, beloved of Christ, was still a charge by God. God was still going to use them. God 
was still involving them in his plan to redeem Israel. The covenant Lord, who is almighty God, has a plan that uses man in his weakness to do great things. He displays who he is through a plan that includes a charge laid upon Moses and Aaron. Though he could have redeemed Israel with a host of angels defeating the Egyptians, he saw fit to use men who nobody was otherwise going to listen to. And all throughout the history of Israel, prophets came foretelling of the redemption that she would receive from a man that nobody would listen to. Prophets spoke of the plan of the Lord to redeem Israel through a man the world would consider insignificant. The covenant God would remember his people and a man appointed by God would deliver them for new life in blessed communion with him. This man, Christ Jesus, our Lord, he had a charge laid upon him as well. Anointed from the start of his ministry, beloved Son of God, come to do the will of the Father. He denied his own will, even to the point of suffering death on the cross. Even drinking the cup of God's wrath in full. Rejected by man who did not know his word, who did not listen to him, he faithfully brought the Word of God, for He is the Word of God. I am who I am, and His covenant love demonstrated that love, not with a great show of might, but in humility. And a man humbled, rejected, and ignored by other men in rebellion. That is the plan of the Lord unfolding in time. The great I am has given us a charge, beloved. Christ Jesus is at work calling his people out of darkness into his marvelous light. And he is gathering his chosen people to be his people. His word must go forth unhindered. And his covenant faithfulness it's most beautifully realized in the humble followers of Christ carrying out their daily calling faithfully. Christians follow Christ as prophets, priests, and kings, anointed and called to follow Him. This is their charge. This is your charge, everyone baptized. And you're not doing it with great displays of power. You're not doing it with such powerful words that even pagan kings and secular rulers are acknowledging it. The people of God are not bringing about the kingdom of God with mighty works and acts of judgment in the eyes of man. But the gathering of God's people is being done. And it's being done according to His plan, not ours. Almighty God reaffirms to us, I am the Lord. His mighty work 
has been so perfectly accomplished in Christ Jesus, shall we today doubt the charge He lays upon us? Are we to question how effective we could be in the eyes of man? Whether or not the person that we're talking to, witnessing to, inviting to church, whether that would fall on deaf ears or not. We might think it'd be so much easier to God to just give us signs and powers so that the message of faith wouldn't be so easily dismissed and denied. But still... I am the Lord. In the face of our doubts, I am the Lord. That God reaffirms who He is. That He is a covenant God, a faithful God, a steadfast God who is unchanging and unwavering in His purpose. I am the Lord. God reaffirms to His people, they didn't choose Him, you didn't choose God, but He chooses us. I am the Lord. God affirms that it is His plan unfolding through history. It's not our plan. And in that perfect plan, we have a role, a calling, a mandate. And what a glorious mandate it is, beloved. That in the face of all the chaos of the world, before all the uncertainty of life in the 21st century, that compared with the confusion of society, we may testify that there is an almighty God whose word is faithful. I am the Lord. Amen.